Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Rules of formation, rule number one this morning. We're going to call this rule the heart rule. This is where we're going to begin, probably where scripture would have us begin, the heart rule. When we talk about four key things that shape us, it's important to begin in the place of the heart. I I think it's fair to say there is nothing in your life shaping you more right now than your own heart. Your heart. So the heart rule says this. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. The heart rule says that we're formed from the inside out. This is a rule of life. It's a rule of formation. This is a truth of life that in your and my life, we are becoming who we are from the inside out. It's an unavoidable rule. And, you know, as I mentioned, this is, I believe, where Scripture would have us begin. This is what the Bible teaches, the, the place where kind of all things begin. In fact, you know, it, it doesn't take a, if, even if you're new to the Bible, it doesn't take an extensive reading of the Bible, which, by the way, it's a pretty extensive book. It's rather large. It's no, you know, volume one Harry Potter. It's pretty long, okay? I've never read that, but... I, Nonetheless, it doesn't, take, it doesn't take an extensive reading of the Bible. You don't really have to go too far in the Bible. You can just start in the Gospel of John, a great place to start. And as you read through the Gospel of John, it won't take you long to notice something. You'll notice that the God of this book, the God of the universe, he is particularly concerned with the heart of man. When you read this, you go, this God cares about hearts. He cares about the heart. Probably the most notable and famous of this comes from the classic VBS story. I shouldn't say that, but some of these stories get VBS-sized. 1 Samuel chapter 16, an incredible chapter in the Bible. Samuel is a prophet. He is anointed and tasked by God to go and choose the next king of Israel. It's a man that God has already chosen for himself. Samuel's the messenger to go make the selection. God sends him to a man named Jesse. Jesse has eight sons. Seven of the eight sons match the external description of like the next bachelor character, okay? Like they've got it all going on. Good looks, chiseled features, gifting, talent, charisma, I don't watch The Bachelor either. I haven't read Harry Potter. I don't watch The Bachelor, but I'm trying to maintain cultural relevance as I get older. First Samuel 16, Samuel is told by the Lord as he's going to go pick this next king of Israel. He says, God says to Samuel, Samuel, don't look at the outside. Don't pay attention to his appearance or his physical stature because he might be the one the culture picks, but that's not the one that I've selected. For the Lord does not see as man sees. This is a great reminder for us. We tend to assume that however I see it is how God sees it. But God doesn't see the way I see. God's ways are higher than my ways. His sights are are far-reaching, more reaching than my sights. For man looks at the outward appearance, and here's the verse we all know, the Lord looks at the heart. It was this shepherd boy. In fact, all seven, seven of the eight sons were lined up. Poor David wasn't even picked to be on the selection draft, you know, moment there. He, he wasn't even one of the candidates in the running, but he was the one that God chose. He was the one that everyone overlooked, but God looked at David's, what, 
heart. David was a man who is after God's own heart. This is what God is concerned with. Now, it's important to talk about this, that, that when we say the heart and the thing that God is concerned with, the truth of a person, that's really what we, we mean. I think there's, you know, in our culture, the heart has come to, uh, as an emoji, represent a lot of different things. It can represent love. You send to your, your love. You, know, you, you hit them with that little emoji. It's all you need, just that boom in the middle of the day. Just gets you like, mm, what's up? All right? Or you get a text that you really like, and so you don't like it. You tap back with the heart. Mm, I love that text, okay? Now, in our culture, even just the heart in general has really come to symbolize the emotional or the romantic life of an individual. And though we, we would say that's fair, that is a part of the heart, we need to be clear about what the Bible is talking about when we say God cares about your heart. What, is, what does that mean? Uh, I think one of the best explanations of this is uh, by pastor and author Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He describes the heart of Jesus in that book, and he defines what the heart is. He says this. He says, when the Bible speaks of the heart, whether Old Testament or New, it is not speaking of our emotional life only, but notice this, but the heart in Scripture is the central animating center of all that we do. It is what gets us out of bed in the morning and what we daydream about as we are drifting off to sleep. The heart, it is, I love this, it is our motivation headquarters. Where's, where's the headquarters of your, per, of your person? It's your heart. The heart, in biblical terms, is not part of who we are, but who we are. The very center of who we are in our very being. So scripture actually teaches this. Look at Proverbs 27, 19. Uh, this is kind of a simple way to say this. As in water, face reflects face. Like the face of water, if you look on it, maybe you're like, just trying to see if you can catch that reflection in the water, and you look upon it, that water, hopefully, is going to reflect face. It's going to be a mirror. Well, in the same way, Solomon says, so a man's heart, do you see this, is a reflection of a man. So, so who you really are is who you are in your heart. That's the truth of who you are. And we all know this, right? Because we know what it's like to have a persona. We know what it's like to convince people who we want them to think we are. Hey, I'm this kind of person. And it's like, there's actions, and there's, there's certainly habits, and there's reputation. But God looks at the heart, which is who you really are. Now, that's an important, I think, definition of what the heart is, but the Bible actually takes it further. It's more than that. It's not less than that. Dallas Willard says the heart is the executive center, the executive center of a human being. It's definitely that, but it's also more than that. Solomon will also write in Proverbs, you've seen this verse before, haven't you? Proverbs 4.23. Keep your heart or guard it, protect it, tend it. Do it with all diligence. you got to be on top of the condition of your heart. Why? Because that center place of your life is the place from which, notice this, the issues of life spring. Everything in your life, in my life, that's flowing in and out of my life, is coming from the fountain place of my heart. Whatever's going on in there is what's, listen closely, is what's giving shape to my life. Your heart is the center of your being that springs into everything. Everything flows from your heart. I want you to think about this. The heart is the place from which you act. The heart is the place from which you speak. Jesus taught this out of the abundance of the heart. The mouth speaks. The heart is the place from where you believe. From the heart we desire, we fear. It's 
from the place of the heart that we struggle, we love, we hate. It's from the heart that we worship and we rebel. It's from the heart that we bless and it's from the heart that we curse. It's from the heart that we trust and it's from the heart that we doubt. Everything in your life is flowing from your heart. That's, again, the rule, the heart rule. You are being formed right now from the inside, the inside out. Now, I want to say that God knows this, and it's because God knows this. Listen closely. When God sends out, sets out to change our lives, when he wants to fix our lives, right now maybe you go, I need, there's something in my life, it needs some fixing. When God sets out to change our lives, he begins with our hearts. He knows this. He, he knows that it's no use to you just kind of modifying your behaviors, right? By the way, I'm trying to learn this as a parent. Parents, you know what I'm talking about? Like, my wife and I, we're constantly getting back to this place where we're like, are we just trying to fix a behavior, or are we shepherding the heart? It's one thing to just kind of rebuke the action. Why did you do that? But, but maybe really ask, hey, why did you, why did you do that? What's, what's going on in your heart? But did you know the Lord is the same way with you? Maybe you're much harsher on you than God is because God sees your heart. And that's what he's looking to work in. He knows that's the place of your life that needs the most help. God is not so much interested in modifying our external behavior to be more religious and godly. Do more religious things. Be a better you on the outside. God is not so much after that. God is more after the transformations of our lives from the inside out. I thought of it this way. It's like, there's been times in my life where my software was great, updated, the latest new thing for the government to spy on me is, is, you know, is locked in there. Hey, you know. But like my screen is just destroyed, okay? My iPhone screen is just, it looks like a spider web of just disaster, of glass. I get cuts. I've had that, like cuts. It's like, get a new phone, dude. And uh, thankfully, that's not the case right now. The case with my phone right now is it actually looks great. I can actually see my children in my screen background. That's nice to actually see them. There's not a big crack through their faces, you know. But lately, my phone's been acting up because I, I got to update. I got to update this. I think I'm rebelling a little bit. I'm just like big tech. I'm not updating my phone. I don't know. But what does that even mean? I don't know. But You know, I think a lot of times we can get caught in this trap with our own lives where we're so focused on the hardware. Right now, maybe you're so consumed with your external life and what you're doing. And I just want to say, you know, from God's perspective, what he sees that you really need is not new hardware. You need where all things flow, and it's new software. It's the software of the heart, a transformation there. Um, this is how God has worked in our lives. This is, first of all, this is the gospel of Jesus, God sends his son Jesus into the world not to help people's behavior, behave better. That's what the Pharisees were doing. Jesus comes knowing the heart to save the heart, to fix the heart. Uh, this, this was always God's promise, even back to God's people in the book of Ezekiel. That's rough. Hold on. Help me out, dog. All right, there we go. Ezekiel 36, God tells his people, this is what I'm going to do for you because this is what you need. He says, I will give you, notice this, a new heart. That, that's the problem. The problem is not, you're not good enough. The problem is you need a whole new heart where everything's flowing from. You need Jesus to come into your life and change you. 
Not just kind of fix a few things here. You need a complete update. I needed a complete update, even on the daily. He says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit within you. Notice this. This is such beautiful poetic language. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. See, born into sin, each one of us have this natural heart. The problem of the human race is not just that we do bad things, it's that our hearts are not turned towards the one who loves us. This is what's wrong with humanity. This is why everything has gone wrong in history. This is why things still continue to go wrong in our world, globally, locally, and can we say personally? The heart of the issue is the issue of the heart. It's a heart of stone. And so Jesus comes on the scene, and when he goes to rescue mankind, he doesn't just go, okay, now do these things. You were doing these things with like that religion, now come do these religion things. He's like, no, no, that doesn't work. You need a whole new heart. That's what Jesus gives us. That's what the new birth is. That's what it means to be born again, by the way. The, the language in theology is you're regenerated. You're given a new heart. It's amazing, like raised in the church, hearing the gospel, there was a shift in my life where I went from doing Christian things because it's what you do to I want to pray. I want to share Jesus with others. I want the Lord. I want what he has for my life. That's a heart change. That's a heart change. It's a, by the way, it's a great place to kind of check on it. Like if you're kind of like, I'm trying to discover what's saving faith and, and maybe you're like, I, you know, I've prayed like 12 prayers every youth camp growing up and you know, I just like, I want to like back it up, back it up, like make sure I've got it like locked in for eternity. And like, like get your eyes off that and just say like, have you, is this ever your heart? God, give me a better heart. Have you ever prayed that? Lord, just created me a new heart. See, that's what Jesus, that's what he does in salvation. He, and, and in fact, it goes on to say, he gives us a new heart, and that causes us by his spirit to walk in a new life. Isn't that awesome? So, so this is what Jesus does when he saves us, and it's amazing the work that God can do in changing a heart. Let's just say that. There is no heart too hard that God can't soften. There is no heart too lost that God can't seek and find. There is no heart too doomed that God can't rescue. God is, God is in the business of saving hearts radically. It's what he does. In fact, we should go, yeah, because that's our story. I mean, that's what it means to be saved. Charles Spurgeon says everything beautifully, and he said this. He says, all that ever can be evolved, this is the truth, out of the sinful heart of man. Here's, you know, so modern theology, is, or philosophy and theology is, follow your heart, just whatever and wherever your heart is leading you. Like, it's not a good anchor, okay, and not a good compass for you to, to bank on. Spurgeon says, all that can really ever be evolved out of the sinful, broken heart of man, it's a heart issue, is sin and nothing else. Jesus says, out of, the, out of the evil treasures of our heart come forth evil things. Salvation is the free gift of God by Jesus Christ, and the work of it is supernatural. It is done by the Lord himself, and he has the power to do it. I love this. However weak, no, however dead in sin the sinner may be. That's what God does. He comes and he changes hearts, he changes lives. And that's hopefully your story. That's my story. I'm still as imperfect as I was yesterday, but my heart has been changed. Jesus changed my heart. I didn't try to get a new heart. I didn't work hard to have a better heart. I needed a whole new one. But it's more than that. Listen, we're those that have been completely renovated deep down in our hearts. But we're also those 
who are being transformed in our hearts. You know, as water reflects face and reflect, so too the heart reflects man. Like, have you ever just seen what your heart is reflecting, by the way? Follower of Jesus? Or maybe someone else did, like your spouse? Like, your heart comes out. You know, you wear it on your sleeve, as they say. It's like, I see your heart. Have you ever come face to face what's in there? Well, let me say that Jesus is still at work there too. In fact, that is where he comes to work in our lives, from the inside out. I love this verse in Galatians 4.19. Paul knows this. The Apostle Paul in ministry, he says, My little children to the church, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. In you. Paul uses this motherly language a couple times. It's really beautiful in scripture to describe his pastoral heart for the people that God has called him to serve. In 1 Thessalonians, he says, I was like a nursing mother among you. That's pretty poetic. And also, like, if I said that, you'd be like, yo. Like, Solas, I just feel sometimes like I'm nursing you like a mother. All right? You'd be like, all right. It's in the Bible. Paul, but Paul, it's beautiful. Paul's like, no, the, the picture is that the nurture, the heart that he has, like a, there's, no, there's no relationship like that of a mother nursing her newborn, right? Just that connection, that, that nurturing, that love. Now, now here, Paul uses the same language. Paul uses another, he goes, I'm like a woman in birth. That's what he says. It's like, Paul, no, you ain't. Chill out, okay? All right. Imagine if I said that. You know, guys, sometimes I just feel like I'm pregnant and I'm, about to, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going through labor. And you're like, you will never know what that feels like. Shut up, all right? Um, but, but it's beautiful language. Beautiful language. Paul's like, I feel in my heart. He says, I'm like a mother in labor. And I want, the, the picture here is, I want to see something produced in your life. I want to see God change your life. Paul says, I want to see new things birthed in your life. There are dead things. There needs to be living things. And so Paul goes, when he thinks about that, notice what he says, that birthing looks like Christ being formed in you. That, that new work in your life is not a new habit. It's not this exterior thing first. It will be that. We'll talk about that next week. It's how's your heart? What's going on in there? Do you feel that you're growing in your love for God? Do you sense that there's, there's a work happening in there? If not, that's what we got to look at. That's what God is looking at. That's what he's concerned with. Uh, Jesus models this really interesting, just his emphasis of this. He teaches this all throughout the scriptures. We, we see Jesus teaching what I believe Dallas Willard even emphasizes about formation. Dallas Willard um, defines spiritual formation this way. He says, spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process of transformation of the inmost dimension of the human being, the heart, which is the same as the spirit, or will. I just got to stop for a second. Brittany and I are reading a, a, a book right now where this comes from. It's called, it's, it's my recommended read for this morning. It's called The Renovation of the Heart. And we tried to read it out. We tried the thing. We're like, let's, let's like read it out loud to each other. Like, is that a thing that we could do? Would that be good for our marriage? I don't know. Let's find out. It, it didn't work out. I'll say that. But, but, and the reason wasn't us. Her thing was Dallas Willard can be a little exhaustive. Like, I'm just sorry. I was just thinking about that. But I was like, babe, it's great. It's philosophical. You know, you got to really get into it. All right. Why am I butchering the quote that I'm like saying is epic right now? Okay. So she's wrong. Clearly I'm right. Spiritual formation 
in the tradition of Jesus Christ is the process, notice this again, of transformation of the inmost dimension, the inmost part of you, the heart, which is the same or the spirit of the will. It is being formed, really transformed in such a way, here's formation, here's what God has for your life, so that the natural expression comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. That's what God wants for us. But that's a natural expression of something that God does on the inside. It's an overflow. Spiritual formation is first and foremost an internal work. Jesus in Luke chapter 18, I had you turn there two weeks ago. In Luke 18, we see Jesus emphasizing this in his ministry to a man who's called the rich, what? Young ruler. This guy is rich in resources. He's rich in life and age, and he's rich in power. And this man comes to Jesus. Notice how Jesus is concerned for his heart in this passage. And this certain ruler comes to Jesus saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I got to do? And Jesus says to him, First of all, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God, a.k.a. do you know who you're speaking to? Okay. And then Jesus says, here's what you need to do. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Now, if you look at the commandments, we know these are the commandments that are regarding love for neighbor. There's the first four that have to do with love for God. And these are the commandments. Jesus says, okay, do these things. What do I need to do to go to heaven? He goes, do these things. Love your neighbor by doing these things. And the guy's response is, I grew up playing on the youth group worship team, is what he says, okay? I taught VBS, and all these things I have done and kept from my youth. Now, in this moment, if, if the issue was external behavior, Jesus could have gone, well, good, you've, you've, you get eternal life. Here's another thing. When Jesus was asked this question, Jesus, you know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus could have said, oh, just pray this prayer after me. Oh, you want to be saved? Oh, you just got to say these abracadabra words. That's how you get saved, right? You recite the thing. Now, if you mean it, hey, great. If you, if you say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and that's, that's true, great. But there's a lot that Jesus could have done in this moment. He could have said, you know, pray this prayer and repeat after me. He could have said, when he said, oh, I, I've done all the things, he could have said, good, you go to heaven. But instead he says... Still you lack one thing, yet I see that. I see that you've done all the commandments, but I see something that you're missing. It's in your heart. See, see, for you to really have the kingdom of God, you have to have room in your heart for it. When I look on at your heart, I see that there's actually other things there that are enthroned instead of God. So, so how can God actually be on the throne of your life if there's something else there? And so Jesus says, Sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor. Are are you willing to love your neighbor from the heart and not just the law? Is it true? What's really going on in your heart? And then you will have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. What an invitation. Now, here's what the scriptures sadly say. When he heard this, he became very sorrowful because he was very rich, a.k.a. he loved his money. He loved that thing that Jesus said, you need to surrender that thing. Not because I want your life to be miserable, but listen, because that thing has your heart. 
And I can't have your heart if that thing has your heart. And you could obey all the rules and grow up in church and you could pray the prayer and repeat after me. But if your heart is not sincerely willing to come to me and receive, by the way, more than any earthly treasure can give you, you're lacking something. You see Jesus here? This is how Jesus deals with us, guys. He's like, what's going on in you? That's what I care about. There's another great interaction with this. Matthew chapter 15. Turn there as well. Jesus, let me say this. Jesus, as you're turning there, Jesus and the Pharisees would constantly clash over this central point about the heart. It was like their biggest beef with them. The Bible says in, in the Gospel of John that Jesus knows the thoughts of, he knows the hearts of man. There's these moments where Jesus comes up on the scene and he's like, why are you thinking that in your heart? Imagine that, that's scary. You're like, how, how, how do you know that? All right. Jesus can see into the heart of man and he, and he sees this with the Pharisees. They'll come and they'll bring him questions and Jesus won't answer their question. He'll like reply with a question to be like, what's going on in there? Why are you asking that? And they don't like that. It's like, no, I don't want you to look into there, right? I don't want you to deal with my heart. So Jesus actually, you're in Matthew 15, we'll read that in a second, but in Matthew 23, Jesus said this, he said, Woe to you, scribes and, and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish. That's kind of how I wash dishes. Um, but inside, it, so that you clean it up on the outside, you dress it up in Jesus, you dress it up in church, you dress it up in religion, you dress it up in your own form of righteousness and social justice and whatever other thing you want to fill in the blank with. You clean the outside, but internally, the place that God sees, it's full of self-indulgence and sin. And, and he says your extortion, which is you know, injustice, you're, you're broken on the inside. He says, blind Pharisee, first cleanse the inside of the cup. Start there. Your formation flows from the inside out. You've got to clean the inside. And then the outside will clean itself out. Isn't that great? The outside will take care of itself. So, so this is something that Jesus like, was constantly just butting heads with the Pharisees on. Constantly aggravating them because he was always getting to the root issue, which was the issue of the heart. I, I think the most profound encounter of this is Matthew 15. In Matthew 15, it says that the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, they come to Jesus. So let's look at this, this interaction here with Jesus and the heart and the Pharisees. So they come to Jesus from Jerusalem. They're on a mission. They're investigating this miracle worker, kingdom preacher. And they come to Jesus and they say, why do, Jesus, we have, a, we have an issue and it's, it's with your followers, it's with your disciples, which is normal. I have the same issues often, right? Jesus, why do your disciples transgress the tradition we got traditions up in here. We got our sacred calves, and they're knocking them over. Why do your disciples sit against the tradition of the elders? And here's what they don't do. For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, first of all, like, why? <laughs> wash your hands, you know? But sincerely, this tradition, we see a tradition that was in the culture there. It was a tradition that involved a ceremonial hand washing. You come back from the marketplace, you're unclean. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, it's not like a CDC thing. It's just like you came back from the marketplace. Now you've been around pagans, Gentiles, who knows what you've touched. You know, meat offered to idols. When you, before you eat your bread, if you really want to be clean, clean what? The outside of the cup. Right? Go through this ceremonial hand washing. 
Time out. This is never commanded by God. This is not a commanded scripture. This is what? It's a tradition of the elders. Now let's stop for a second. We're talking about the heart. We're talking about behavior. We're talking about actions, sin and what's not sin. Let's take a moment to talk about religious tradition. Okay? Um, it's interesting. I think of these three equations. This is as far as I've excelled in math. Plus signs, equal signs, and subtraction. All right? We'll stay with that. Um, there is a time and place, and there is a helpful place, when you add a religious tradition to a biblical command. There's actually a lot of wisdom in tradition. Tradition is, in and of itself, not a bad thing. It's an amoral thing. It's a guide. It's a guardrail. It's, it's, the goal of it is to be a garden, or maybe we think of it like stones around a fire from keeping the fire from going out of control. Does that make sense? It's a fireplace. A tradition can be very helpful when it's applied to a biblical command. So that's usually where it starts, and that's a good thing. As a church, we have all sorts of traditions that we believe are, are, are still time-tested in, in a helpful way to fulfill the biblical command, say, of like, you know, not neglecting gathering together. There's certain traditional ways that we do that. We're like, we get together in a middle school, and we, we hang out in each other's houses and coffee shops and our little storefront, church planning life, right? So that's a tradition, but we see that as like a really helpful way to fulfill the command. Now, here's where things get dangerous. And by the way, this goes further south. South. Here's what the disciples, uh, rather the Pharisees were doing. They began to elevate religious tradition to be on the same level as a biblical command. They begin to, by the way, idolize a tradition. That's what they're doing. So there's this tradition that maybe was helpful in terms of guiding a biblical command, but now it's, it's brought up to the same place as what God's word says and so here's what they're doing. Because now the tradition is as holy as the command, they're using it as a metric, listen, to judge people's hearts. But this is something they did way back then, by the way. It's like a past thing, right? Imagine that. We take, these are, it's like, it's not in the, it doesn't say in the Bible to do that or not to do that, but it's just, this is what we do. This is a law, right? No, it's a tradition. Not that it's a bad tradition, but when you start to make that a metric to gauge someone's morality or godliness or maturity, like, oh, you're only spiritual mature if you do this tradition, or you do it this way or that way. And by the way, I'm, I know I'm not like being specific because that is a can of, that's a 12-year series right there, okay, on traditions. Maybe that's our next series, okay? And where this kind of, by the way, idolatry leads is the same place where all idolatry leads, which is sin, um, so so this, this is what the Pharisees were doing. You know what Jesus says, actually? He says this. He goes, you're teaching traditions as though they're doctrines. That's what he says. That's what we do here. We make a doctrine out of a tradition. Where does that I, I, idolatry lead? It leads to that tradition actually justifying sin. That's where it goes. You've gone from judging people who don't keep your tradition to actually disobeying God's very word instead of this, or worshiping, or sorry, keeping this tradition at the expense of what God commands. So, so we see that that's where the, the disciples, or these Pharisees, end up. They, they're just wandering further and further from God in their hearts by elevating these traditions. So they come to Jesus. This is like, if you're new to Jesus, I want you to see Jesus. He's awesome, okay? They go, what? let me ask you a question, Jesus. Why? Do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
Jesus goes, IDK, why do you, hey oh, transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? Jesus goes, I look on at your culture and the, the whole religious thing you got going on. And, I, and he actually lists an example of how the Pharisees are using religious tradition to shirk their responsibility as sons and daughters and taking care of their parents, which is what God's word commands, honor your father and mother. And part of that in that culture was to make sure that they weren't left destitute, that you would provide for them. And so there was this religious tradition where this, this is so wicked. These sons and daughters were doing this. They were going, these religious people, you know what? This portion belongs to my parents, but it's a gift. This is for God. This is for God. And they wouldn't actually have any checks and balance of what they would spend it on. But they go, this is for God. Sorry, this is for God. I can't give it. You know, I can't. I can't. It's for God. And, and they were actually sinning through that religious tradition. So Jesus calls them out on that. And, and then there's this powerful moment where Jesus goes right for, we, I, I want to say the jugular, okay? But he goes for the heart. This is where Jesus is always going for. He might seem like savage, like he's going for the, the no, he's going for the heart. He cares, he loves, he's a shepherd. And he calls them out in love. He says, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you. And he's going to speak some heavy truth. These people draw near to me with their mouth. And they honor me with their lips. But their hearts are nowhere near me. Their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Now Jesus goes on to expound on this. He teaches a parable. It says, when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear and understand. I love this. Jesus gives a little mini parable, one sentence mini parable. He goes, it's not what goes into the mouth, bread that's eaten with unwashed hands, that defiles you, the outside of the cup, but it's what comes out of your mouth, your words. It's just Jesus being really poetic and brilliant here because that comes from your heart. He's saying it's the heart that matters. Now this is one of my favorite, my favorite verses. Look at this. Jesus do you know that the Pharisees are offended? They were offended when you said these things. And Jesus replies, please tell them I'm so sorry. I didn't mean it. I would never want to hurt their feelings. No, I didn't say that. He answers and says, well, he kind of says, leave it up to God. Every plant which my heavenly father has planted or has not planted will be uprooted. If they're of the Lord... They're all, you know, God will take care of it. I'm just speaking the truth. It doesn't mean, by the way, as Christians, some of us love this verse. We're like, yeah, we're so offensive. It's awesome. It's like, can you chill a little bit? All right? Like, now the truth is offensive. We don't need to add offense to what already is offensive. We should love people with the truth. But there's a principle Jesus dis displays here. You know what Charles Spurgeon says? This is a Spurgeon, banger quote. He says this. He says, the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Process that for a second. The same sun that melts the wax, it's the same truth. It also hardens the clay. Have you noticed this? There's people like in ministry, I've been in ministry now for about 12 years, and there's people that it's like the same truth, same tone, same love. Some people, hard as can be. Other people, soft. It's like the sower goes out to sow. We're just like sowing seeds. The soil of the heart is a whole other conversation. And that's what Jesus says. He goes... It's whatever the heart condition is. Now look what he says to them. Leave them alone. Just let it, just. Sometimes, by the way, this is like what you need to hear from Jesus. This is such an encouraging verse sometimes. Just like, it's okay to step back. You're not God, okay? 
just leave them alone for a second. Stop trying to change everyone. Just back up, okay? Let Jesus do it. He says, and look what he says to them. They're blind leaders of the blind. The way that they're approaching ministry. So the job of a spiritual leader, this is a dig. If the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. That's not where you want your ministry to go, into ditches, okay? The job of, of ministry, a leader, if God's called you, he's called us all, to, by the way, to lead in some degree. The job of spiritual leadership is to see and to show. To see clearly and to show. Hey, this is Jesus. This is, that's it. We don't show ourselves. Look at me. No, we see and we're like, look. That's ministry. Look. Like every Sunday, what I try to do is be like, look. Look at all these verses. Look at the Bible. Look at it. Just look. Would you look at it? You know? Like, this is, this is the, the job of ministry. Now, notice this dig. He says, your ministry, it's blind people leading blind people. That's so sad. What a sad way to lead. What a sad way to live. Like, if, if our approach to ministry is trying to fix someone's external behavior without having any concern for the heart, we're blind and we're leading blind people. Peter goes and he says, Jesus, would you please explain to us this parable? You're talking about the heart. What, what does this all mean? And Jesus said, are you still without understanding, my guy? Do you not understand? In the Greek it says, my guy. Do you not yet understand? Look what he says. Peter, come on, you got this. Don't you know that whatever enters the mouth, I love, it goes into the stomach and it's eliminated. Next verse. But those... Things which proceed out of the mouth, words, those are what defile of man. And then Jesus, he's starting to quote now from the Old Testament. He's thinking about Proverbs 4.23. He's thinking about the heart. And he says, for out of the real issue is not the outside, it's the heart. See, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders. Jesus teaches that you've committed murder in your heart when you hate your brother. Out of the heart proceed adulteries. You've committed adultery when you've lusted after someone who's not your husband or wife. You've committed adultery in your heart. That's, it, it's, it's a heart issue. Nobody wakes up and goes, you know, today I'm, I'm just going to be a murderer today. I think, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to wreck my life and commit adultery. No, it starts, and I mean this, it starts in the hidden places of the heart. That's what Jesus is teaching. Like, guard your heart. What's going on in your heart? Don't wait till you've committed the sin to confess it. Like, this is the real test. This is, by the way, the real kind of community we all need. Real community is this. Hey, I didn't do it, but hey, it's this. I want to do it. Can I tell someone that? It's in my heart. That's real community. You're, you're opening up your heart to people, not just your general life. Jesus says that it's the heart that everything flows from. Thefts, false witness, blasphemies, lies. How many lies have I told in my life that were heart issues? You ever done that? I know I'm not the only one that lies in here, okay? I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying. There's time, I, I'm like, that was like, you know, and by the way, you know when it's like 98% downloaded truth? It's not the whole thing? It's a lie. It comes from some kind of heart issue, maybe an insecurity, maybe this like, I need you to like me. Oh, I don't know. You're afraid. It comes from the heart. Blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man. Not to eat with unwashed hands, but the things which proceed out of, out of the heart. We started with this verse. I'm close here. Keep your heart. Guard your heart. I heard one pastor teaching on this, and he, and he described the heart like a guitar or some other instrument, maybe a piano, that naturally goes out of tune. 
Left to its own devices, our hearts, they wander. Left to its own devices, our hearts get out of tune. We're called, as those that are following Jesus, first and foremost, to be diligent about what's going on in here. To be honest. Like, this is the practice that comes along with this, by the way. Like, it's almost like, okay, all these things, look at Jesus, the heart, the Bible. What, what then shall I do? And for me, I think it looks like this. It, it means regularly and routinely asking Jesus to help me see what's going on in my heart. When's the last time you did that? David prayed in Psalm 139, God, search me. I, I'm not going to assume I know what's going on in here. Can you see my heart? There's this really interesting verse in Proverbs 21. It says, every way of man is right in his own eyes. Of course it is. But the Lord weighs the heart. Hey, bro, how you doing? Oh, I'm, everything's good. I'm all right. Everything's right. Everything's good. The Lord sees what's in your heart. You go, I'm, I'm all right. I'm going to do all right. Maybe there's like a cancer growing in your heart, a sin that is... It's going to be out of control if you don't deal with it. The heart. This is the place from which we are formed. We're formed from the inside out. You know, I, as I prepared this message, I was like, Lord, what, what is the question that you want to leave the church with? What, what is the thing that we need to ponder and think about in light of this kingdom principle? And I, I felt Jesus give me these, these questions for us this morning. First question. I want you to just begin to commit to praying this and practice praying this. First question is, What's going on in your heart this morning? Like, what's going on? Be honest about what's in your heart. What's going on? Here's some options. Maybe you have a troubled heart this morning. And uh, you're just racked with anxiety. You're racked with worry. Maybe, like, be real. Is that what's going on? Maybe you have a troubled heart. Maybe you have a, a weary heart and you're just, you're tired. The Bible says, do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap a harvest that we don't lose heart. And you look on at that and you're like, I, I done lost heart. I've lost heart. I'm weary. I'm tired in my heart. Maybe you have a broken heart. You've been racked with sadness and sorrow, disappointment, loss, grief, pain. And you're carrying around right now what you have. The Bible calls you the brokenhearted. Maybe you have a bitter heart. Maybe there has been so much pain and difficulty downloaded upon your life and loss, more, by the way, more than your soul was ever made to deal with. And the result of it is life is less sweet and it's a, it's a lot more bitter. I don't mean like bitter at them. I just mean bitter. Maybe your heart this morning, here's one that we might not initially go, yeah, that's me. Maybe your heart is the Bible would say, wicked this morning. You go, okay, can we use like dysfunctional or maybe sinful at least? But let me, just, let me ask you a question. You have a friend. You come to trust them. You confide in them. They're, they're one of your closest friends. And then one day out of nowhere, they trick you at your own expense. They deceive you. They steal from you, and they rob from you. And then you, you never, you know, you never see them again. You you go on, you look on that, and you'd be like, that is a little wicked. But can I tell you, that's what your heart does every day. Jeremiah seventeen says this: the heart 
is deceitful above all things and, ready for this, desperately wicked. Who can know it? David talks about in the Psalms how he's taking counsel in, in his heart. Not a good place to take counsel. My heart, tells, my heart lies to me all the time. Leads me, deceives me into sin, into wickedness. That's a wicked heart. That's the condition, this deceptive nature of the heart. Maybe this morning you have, because of that, you have a guilty heart. And you're just racked with shame. And there's a sense in which conviction is good over sin, but, but this, there's a kind of guilt that's not of the Lord. It's this condemnation that just sort of comes over your life. You carry it with you. It shows on your countenance. And lastly, maybe today, if you could be honest with yourself, whether you're a believer or not, maybe you have a hardened heart. And, and it wasn't overnight. It wasn't like one day you had a soft heart for the Lord, you were open to what he wanted to do, you were following him. Maybe it was like a progressive door that just closed slowly and slowly but surely was losing it's like you were slowly but surely like closing the gap of Jesus' access to your life. And like Pharaoh, just progressively, your heart. And by the way, sin helps that door close faster. Scripture warns us, exhort one another daily, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Like I, Today, there's friends that have changed my life spiritually that are no longer walking with the Lord. They just shut their hearts to the Lord. And maybe you're here at church today, but your heart isn't open to Jesus. Like just, and this is just like a few I prayed about, like seven things. But, but what's going on in your heart this morning? Take inventory. Be honest about what's going on in there. Let this also be a daily practice. And when you discover what's going on, whether it's a broken heart, a weary heart, a troubled heart, a bitter heart, a wicked heart, a guilty heart, or a hardened heart, here's the next question. What does your heart need from Jesus? Can I say that there is no one more qualified in your life to deal with your heart than Jesus? He is the perfect candidate to show up in the face of whatever's going on in there and fix it like only he can. See, keep your heart, by the way, we need to say this, is not something that we necessarily do. Keeping your heart is, is this practice of knowing that left to my own, my heart is a mess. But if I bring the truth of who I am to Jesus, the, the great physician, he, he's like a spiritual heart surgeon. It's in good hands. He will work on my heart. What does your heart need from Jesus? If you have a troubled heart, maybe you need to hear Jesus said, let, not your, let him hear him say, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. You have a troubled heart. Are you worried today? Receive my peace. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Bring your troubled heart to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart. Maybe you have a weary heart, and you're just exhausted. You're tired, and you need to hear Isaiah 40, that those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. You need to hear Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord and be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Are you tired? Are you, are you exhausted? Come to him and watch him strengthen you. If you have a broken heart, maybe you need to read Psalm 84. 
or Psalm 34, or, or Luke 4, the Bible says that God is near to you. The Bible says God is near to the brokenhearted. Jesus said about himself, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. If you have a bitter heart, maybe you need to invite the work of the Holy Spirit to come make sweet again what's been lost. Paul says in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit and let all bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you and be kind to one another, tender-hearted by the power of the Spirit. Maybe today you go, yeah, I, I have a, I'm the wicked heart one. That's me. I'm constantly following the counsel of my own heart. And what do I need? I, I need the leading and direction of Jesus. I am no longer going to lead my heart. I'm going to let Jesus do it. I'm no longer going to serve whatever my heart wants, whatever it desires, whatever it's telling me. I'm going to pray Psalm 86, 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Listen to this. God, unite my heart to fear your name. What a prayer for your year. Maybe you look back at 2021, you go, yeah, I love Jesus, but I had a divided heart. My heart was all over. A little bit of Jesus, a little bit of that, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And you just say, God, I have a wayward heart. I have a wicked heart. It's tricking me, deceiving me, leading places I don't want to go. I don't want to follow my heart this year. I want to follow you. Unite my heart to fear your name. If you have a guilty heart, you need to hear the words of 1 John 3.20. How many times have I come to this verse for comfort? If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Paul prays for the church at Thessalonica. Now may the Lord direct your, I love this, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Your heart's been in shame. You just need to say, God, direct my heart into your love. Pour out your love in my heart by your Holy Spirit. And if you have a hardened heart this morning, can I say what you need is to encounter the love of a God who has never left you for one moment when you've turned your back on him. As you've hardened your heart towards the Lord, can I tell you something? His heart has softened towards you. He doesn't meet your stubbornness with rejection. He matches and meets our rejection with love. And here's what you and I needed Here's what we still need, and here's what you may need if you have a hardened heart today. You just need an encounter with the love of God. You need to move beyond religion and find a God that's so worth living for, that loves you so much that when he saw you living for your own self, following your heart to hell and separation and destruction and sin, he came into history to go on a cross to rescue your heart. He took, his, he took on his own back your sin and my sin. He went to the grave and rose victoriously. He's ruling and reigning now. We sang this on the way in as the king of our heart.